0: Uh, This morning we're going to read the three verses that we've been studying throughout the Advent season. Um, These verses help us understand why Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came into the earth, born as a baby on the first Christmas. So uh, the first verse is Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Matthew 11, verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking And they say look at him a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners mark 10 verse 45 for even the son of man came not to serve but to serve not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many this is the word of the lord few years ago, uh, London hosted the biggest ever Star Trek convention. I don't know if anybody went. Star Trek fans in the room? No. Uh, It made the news, that convention, uh, because of a wedding that happened on that day. Um, And the news wasn't just that two Star Trek fans were getting married, although that might be news enough. Um, It made the news because it was the first ever wedding to be fully conducted in Klingon. Now, for those of you who are not Star Trek fans, Klingon is the fictional language spoken by the fictional alien race in those sci-fi films. And all the vows, everything on that day was done in the language of Klingon. Most of us, when we hear stuff like that, our reaction is probably something like, are you serious? You might be taking this a bit too far. Great, you like Star Trek. Fun, fun entertaining, might even be inspiring, but don't treat it as if it's real. Don't base your life on it. And I wonder if there are many people thinking the same thing about Christians around this time of the year. As we really think about the Christmas story, it's a a wonderful story. It's got all the ingredients you'd want in a great story. Angelic announcements, a virgin birth, little tiny baby, Jesus, born in a manger. You've got the star of Bethlehem. You've got the shepherds, the wise men with their gifts. You've even got the villain in King Herod. It's all wonderful. A great story. But is there a risk that we're taking it a bit too far? Is there a risk that we're making too much of just a good story? Is it really a story that we should be basing our lives upon. Now, we're finishing off our our Advent series today. As you can see, we've given it the title, The Son of Man Came. And what we've basically been doing over these last few weeks in the lead up to Christmas is looking at different instances in the Gospels where we're told why Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came into the world. Some of the reasons why he was born as a baby in a manger, in a little town of Bethlehem that first Christmas morning. Because here's the thing. When we understand why Jesus came, like really, deeply understand, we realize that we can never make too much of this story. When we truly understand why Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came, we realize that, that this story is the story our world needs. This is the story that all of us needs. Because this story has the power to transform our story forever. It has the power to rewrite our story forever. To free us from the guilt and the shame that we might be carrying in life. To free us from the destructive patterns in our hearts which wreak havoc in this world and in our lives. And so understanding this story, why Jesus Christ came to this world, it matters for all of us in this room, for all of us in this world. We saw it in week one, that Jesus coming to this world was a rescue mission. That was his purpose. He came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. Those who are hopeless without him. Those who are lost, wandering aimlessly through life. And we discovered that that is all of us. We're all lost in the darkness without Jesus. We're all in need of salvation. And we saw in week two how the Son of Man came. He came eating and drinking. He spent time around the table with those who were lost. He befriended sinners, speaking to them about the salvation that he offers, showing them what life with him is really like. And last week we saw that he came not to be served, even though he could have been. He came not to be served, but to serve. And this week we're actually finishing off that verse in Mark chapter 10 that we started last week. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And how did he serve? By giving his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to give his life as a ransom for many. For many, And what I want us to see this morning is that within this verse, there are two things. There's bad news, and there's good news. There's bad news, and there is good news. And usually when someone tells you that there's bad news and there's good news, they, they would ask which one you want to hear first, and, and usually people would say, well, give me the good, good news first, to almost soften the bad news, but we're not going to do that. We're going to start with the bad news, because... It's only when we understand the bad news and how how deep our need is that we see how life-transforming, how magnificent the good news really is. So let me pray, and then we're going to get going in our verse this morning. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for your goodness, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, that that you came to this world to seek and to save the lost, to rescue people and lift them out of their darkness and bring them into your marvelous light. Lord, I pray you'll open our hearts to you this morning, that we will see you more clearly than before and that we will love you more deeply than before. Amen. Amen. So the bad news. Let's start with the bad news. Here it is. We have a problem that we cannot fix on our own. We have a problem that we cannot fix on our own. Last year, I heard of a a church in Belfast here doing a survey, and they asked people this simple question, how would you fix the world? Now, there were over 760 responses. And the interesting thing was, out of those 760 responses, there was only one person who said, the world doesn't need fixing. 759 people, the overwhelming majority, recognize that there is something not right with this world. This world is full of problems. This world is a dark place, a cost of living crisis where people are struggling to pay bills, a mental health crisis with People struggling to get the help that they need. A refugee crisis with millions of people displaced from their homes, their families. Wars raging. Our government in disarray. Our healthcare system pushed to breaking point. And that's just the problems on a macro level. But what about a micro level too? Individual level. Many struggles and challenges that we all face in life that you might be carrying this morning. Real struggles, incredibly difficult struggles, sickness, grief, relational strife, infertility, financial difficulty, depression, the list is endless. But while all those problems are big, very real, none of them are what God considers our biggest because to steal and slightly change something that the preacher, Don Carson, once said, if God thought our biggest problem was financial, he would have sent a financial advisor. If God thought our biggest problem was political stability, he would have sent a politician or a world leader. If God thought our biggest problem in life was our health and our physical well-being, he would have sent a doctor. But Jesus wasn't sent by God into this world to be any of those things. Jesus came into this world to be our Savior. Why? Because the biggest problem we all face in life is our separation from God because of sin. See, this world has a loving creator in God. He's the one the Bible says gives us life and breath and all things. And for that reason, he is the God who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory and power forever. God created this world and He created each one of us, every human being that's ever lived. And in the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis that all things He created were good, very good. There was none of the problems that we mentioned before. There was no evil, no injustice, no suffering, no death. This world was perfect. All that existed lived in in perfect peace and harmony. We can hardly imagine a world like that. Our relationships with each other were perfect, and so was our relationship with our Creator God. We were the very pinnacle of God's creation. We were set apart from everything else that He created. We were made in His image to reflect His glory and His goodness. We were made to relate to him. We were made to rule under him. And we were made to find our rest in him. But from the very beginning, from as early as Genesis 3, we see that we as humanity, we we turned away from God to our own way. We have this natural bent in our heart to reject God as our loving creator. See, we were not content to relate to God, we wanted to be God. We were not happy to rule under God. We wanted to rule instead of God. And rather than finding our rest in God as our creator, we exchanged the creator for the created things and his truth for a lie. And this is what the Bible calls sin. And sin is the reason for all the brokenness we see in our world. Broken relationships and broken homes. Suffering and evil. Injustices and inequality. But sin is also, also the reason for all... The brokenness in us, the sin which is rooted in our hearts, manifests itself in a thousand different ways in our lives. Pride, envy, malicious thoughts, cutting words, to name just a few. Sin is at the root of all that's wrong in this world and in us. All of us were born with this natural propensity to sin. Just look at children, children. I know they're they're lovely standing here on the stage, they're so cute. But you and I both know that we don't need to teach any children how to do wrong things, how to sin. They know how to do it already. We all know how to do it already because we are sinful by nature. Now, this is obviously something that's really difficult to hear, jarring to hear. We don't like this. And when it comes to those feelings of guilt that we feel we're very good at kind of letting ourselves off the hook by doing two things. The first thing is this, we're very good at comparing ourselves to other people and giving ourselves a bit of a pat on the back. You know, I'm not perfect, agreed, but I'm not as bad as everyone else out there. Have you seen them? I'm not like that. We can always find someone who's worse than us, who's the real problem in this world. And secondly, I think the the thing that we're often very uh, very often good at doing with our guilt is, is shifting the blame. It's my circumstances; they're the problem, not me. If only my circumstances were different, I wouldn't be like this. It's my upbringing. It's it's the way I've always been. It's the way my family always have been. It's my kids. It's my spouse. My work colleagues. It's everybody else. It's not me. I'm not denying that those things are factors, but they only really reveal what's there. I thought I was a patient person until I had children. And then I realized I'm not at all. I'm so unbelievably impatient. Our envy, our lust, our pride, our tendency to gossip, Jesus says, anyone who sins is a slave to sin. And that's who we are. We are enslaved by our sinful nature. And it's a sad reality. It's bad news. But it's also a serious reality. It puts us on a collision course with God because sin is something which God cannot and will not ignore. God is good. He's just. And he promises that he will deal with every wrong that has ever been done in this world. He won't be like politicians or world leaders who try and sweep things under the rug and pretend like they never happened. And that's a really good thing, isn't it? That's what the world longs for, justice, for things to be right. But here's the thing. With God, it's not one rule for some and another for everyone else. God promises to bring all things to justice. justice to prom- he promises to punish all sin. But that means if God is going to deal with the sin out there, he has to deal with the sin in here. And Because I've fallen short of God's glory and because you've fallen short of God's glory, we all stand before God as guilty, deserving of death, separated from God and his goodness and his love forever in hell. Romans 6.23 says that we, what we deserve, the wages we are due for sin is death. Ezekiel 18.4 says that the soul that sins will surely die. Sin leads only one way. It's not life, it's death. It's a bleak picture, isn't it? And you'd be forgiven for thinking this is the worst sermon at Christmas that you've ever heard. Where's the joy? Where's the hope? But stick with me, please. Please stay with me. Because remember what I said at the start, it's only when we understand the bad news that we realize just how magnificent the good news really is. We have a problem, a problem that we are powerless to fix on our own. We are enslaved to the power of sin and we face the punishment of eternal death for our sin. And the only hope we have Of being made right with God again, of experiencing life and not death, is if we have our sins taken away. That's the only way. The only way our relationship with God can be restored. And the good news of Christmas, the life changing news of the gospel, is that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, came to do just that. He came to give his life as a ransom. many, He was born with the very purpose of paying the price to release us from the power of sin and the punishment of death. This is what it means that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That word ransom, it means the payment required to free someone from from some kind of bondage, from the debt that they are enslaved to. Think, Think of a prisoner of war or a slave. Someone Taken captive, and then the ransom price that is required for their release. Jesus came to pay the price to release many from their captivity to sin and death. But how did he do it? How did Jesus Christ do it? Well, our verse says that he did it by two things by doing two things, and both are really important. He did it by living the perfect, sinless life no one else ever could. And he did it by dying and taking the punishment everyone else deserves. See, Jesus is not like the rest of us. What we see in the Bible is that he didn't come into this world in the same way that we do. A virgin birth, a supernatural kind of birth. That's not the way any of the rest of us were born. But we also see in the Bible that he he lived his life in a way that we never could. He was perfect in his obedience to God completely sinless. And you might say, well, of course he was. He's God. And in one sense, you're right. Yes, Jesus Christ, in his divinity, fully God, he could not sin. Because God, by nature, cannot sin. But Jesus Christ was also fully man. Like us in his humanity. But yet, in his humanity, he did not sin. He could have sinned. He was in circumstances that that could have meant that he sinned. He had many opportunities, but Hebrews 4.15 says, He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus throughout his whole life on this earth, even when he was tired, even when he was hungry, even when he was on his own, even when he was with his friends and they just didn't get him, even when he was surrounded by other people and they were accusing him falsely, there was never a sinful thought, never a sinful word, never a sinful deed. Jesus, the Son of Man, was pure, spotless, perfect in righteousness, unlike every other human being who's ever lived. And this is vitally important because for Jesus to give his life as a ransom for us, for Jesus to pay the price for us to be released from sin and death. He needed to be like us in his humanity, but also completely unlike us as the only human being who's never sinned. Because how could he pay the price for our sins if he had to pay the price for his own? But he didn't. Because he lived the perfect life no one else ever could. He achieved the perfect standard of righteousness that God's law requires. And this is what makes Jesus uniquely able to save us, the only one. And here's the real wonder of Christmas. Here's the, the absolute scandalous nature of the gospel. Because Jesus paid the ransom price not by living his life, but by giving his life, by dying and taking the punishment that everyone else deserves on himself. Remember what we said about, about earlier in the bad news? Romans chapter 6, the bad news for all of us is that we have willfully rejected God and turned to our own way and for that we deserve death. Separation from God forever. But the incredible news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ was born to take our place. To be our substitute. As He hung on the cross, He willingly paid the wages of sin that we Jew, as if he was the sinner, as if he was the rebel, worthy of God's judgment. He chose this for us. He says that himself in John chapter 10. He says, no one takes my life from me. I give it of my own accord. I lay it down myself. As the preacher Tim Keller once famously said, we are so deeply flawed that Christ had to die, but we are so deeply loved that he was willing to die. It's just outrageous, isn't it? We are so undeserving of this, but yet Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5:21 for our sake for the sake of us the rebels God made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God was willing to treat his own beloved son Jesus like he was the sinner. Taking the insurmountable debt of my sin and yours, all of our sins, every single one, past, present, and future, and charging them all to the account of Jesus Christ. He gave Jesus no discounts. Jesus bore our punishment to its full extent when he hung on the cross. And now, for the ransomed many, our sins, which separated us from God, are gone. Forgiven. Unforgotten forever, he takes away all our guilt. God drops all charges against us, but more than that, he credits us with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ, his own son. The theologian Ursinus he once said it like this: God grants and credits to me the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ. As if I had never sinned, nor been a sinner. As if I had been perfectly obedient as Christ was obedient for me. This is outrageous, isn't it? The scandal of God's grace that an exchange like this would take place. We wouldn't do it this way. We just wouldn't. The Apostle Paul says that in Romans 5. Maybe for a righteous person, a good person, we might die, but for our enemy, never. We wouldn't do it like this. But God, God shows His love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You tend to be able to measure how much someone loves you by the worth of their gift, right? You know what I mean, don't you? At least that's what the kind of premise I was working off on the first Christmas that Jane and I had, my wife and I, when we got married. And I got permission from her last night to tell this story, so don't worry. Uh, and I remember our first Christmas together, we had just paid for a wedding. We'd moved into a new, new home. Money was tight, it was. And, and so we kind of said, we're not going to buy each other too much. We kind of weren't expecting too much. Um, and so I wasn't expect, expecting anything flash for Christmas. But you know, it's Christmas, and it's my new wife. Uh, and so I, I just thought, you know, Christmas Day, I'll come and she'll have got me something good. You know, she loves me. Uh, and, and she got me this, I've left it over to the side, I'll go and get it. She got me this. Now, it's, it's practical, don't get me wrong, it is just a, a Bodum coffee cuff here, uh, and, and when I opened it, well, she, she could tell by my surprise that I was, I was grateful, you know, I was thinking, We we must have left that off the wedding list, did we? But this is what she got me. And and let's be honest, it doesn't scream I love you, does it? It it doesn't. But it's lasted us seven years. It's been good. Um, And let me just say, Jane has very much upped her gift giving since then. Uh, She's in fact a very good and generous gifter. um, And I know she loves me. Uh, But thinking of all that we've considered... If you're in any doubt of the extent of God's love for you, look at the worth of the gift that he gives for us, to us. Jesus Christ, his own son, born to die for us, born to change places with us. This is love, isn't it? This is true love, love in its purest form. And we we don't really know what to do with love like this. We struggle to believe in love like this, that it could be true that someone could love us so freely, so lavishly, so undeservedly, without expecting anything else in return. It's not the way the world loves. We're loved by the world because of who we are. We're loved by the world because of what we do and what we've done. We're loved by the world and we can so easily fall out of love with this world but God loves us because of who he is. God loves us in spite of what we've done. We are never at risk of falling out of love with him. What good news that is. Incredible news. If you're a Christian here this morning, please, please make sure that you're resting in God's love for you this Christmas. Please, above everything else, let the knowledge of his love for you soothe you when you feel the busyness of life taking over. Let the knowledge of his love for you strengthen your soul as you continue to walk through whatever trial or or suffering that you're having to endure right now. Let the knowledge of his love for you stir your soul to love and serve others, even when it's costly, even when the people you're called to love and serve are really difficult to love and serve let the knowledge of his love for you satisfy your soul above everything else that might try to win your affections this Christmas. And if you're a Christian here this morning who's carrying the weight of sin, the guilt and the shame of sin, even though Christ gave his life as a ransom for you to free you from your bondage, to set you free from slavery to sin and death. I want you to remember the words of that famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. And I pray it just causes your soul to sing for joy this Christmas. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, so I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. As we finish, maybe you're someone who's here this morning and right now you you wouldn't consider yourself to be one of the, the ransomed many that Jesus is talking about here in Mark chapter 10. Can I speak really candidly? And in love, can I just share with you the truth of what that means? Because if Jesus Christ has not paid for our sins, the Bible says that there will come a day when we will pay for them ourselves. Forever and eternity. All of us will stand before God to give an account of our lives. And because of all that we've thought about earlier, if we have not placed our trust in Jesus, that he came and he died for us in our place, then we will face God's right and just Judgment. We will be separated from him forever. Our response to Jesus matters. This story matters. It is a matter of life and death. Eternal life and eternal death. And if we continue to keep Jesus at a distance, there is only bad news in this story. But maybe you're someone who's wondering well, I want there to be, to be good news. I long for, for the story to be different in my life. But how? How do I become one of the ransomed many? What do I have to do? Well, the Apostle Paul, he says it like this in Romans 10, 9 to 13. Let me read it for us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For what with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. You see what Paul is saying here? There's confession and there's belief involved. If you humbly confess that you desperately need a Savior, that you have a problem that you cannot fix on your own, and if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is that Savior that you need, that He came to this earth and He died for you on the cross to free you from the power of sin and the punishment of death, and that you rose to life again on the third day to prove that sin and death are done forever, that they will not have the final say. Jesus will. If you believe that is the truth in your heart and you confess that to be true with your mouth, Paul says you will be saved. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. And that everyone, it literally means everyone. Whatever your background, wherever you've come from, whatever your history, however checkered it may be, whether you've attended a church for 35 minutes or for 35 years. Salvation and life forever with God. The way he intended life to be from the very beginning, that is offered to you freely today. If only you would call out to God for salvation. This isn't the usual thing we do at Village, and I felt like as I was preparing this week, just given all we've seen in these last few weeks and how the gospel has been so clearly explained to us. I felt like this morning, maybe there are people here and you've heard something in these last few weeks or maybe this morning and you're ready to call out to the Lord and be saved. Perhaps you know in your heart of hearts that you've actually been running away from God for a very long time and now is the time to turn back to him. What I'm going to do here as we finish up is I'm going to pray a simple prayer saying sorry to God for where we've rejected Him and thanking Him for sending Jesus into this world to save us and asking that He might help us to now follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. And if you are that person and this for the first time in your life feels like the penny has just dropped, you might want to pray this in the quiet of your heart along with me. Just as a way of confessing Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Let's just have a moment of quiet and I'll pray. <laughs> Father God, we want to thank you for all the joys of Christmas that we can look forward to and celebrate at this time of year. But we want to thank you especially for the truth of this passage and what it means for us. Father, I am sorry for where my heart is inclined to reject you as God. I am sorry for my sin. Please forgive me for turning my back on you and rejecting you. But thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you love me so much that you gave your own son Jesus to save me. Help me to receive this gift of life and to follow Jesus as my Savior and Lord. I pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would encourage you to share that with someone, maybe the person who brought you along today or you've been coming along with these last few weeks. I'm going to be at the front. John, Thomas, our elders are here at the front as well. If you want to come and chat to any of us afterwards, we'd be more than happy to do that. If you want someone to pray with you, we'd be very happy to do that as well. It's a joyful thing. It's a joyful thing when salvation comes into our life and God reveals himself to us. And as we finish up here as Christians, I I want us to to finish as we always do in coming to the communion table. This meal, remembering Jesus' death for us. that, That Jesus came with the purpose to save us. He drank the cup of God's wrath for us. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us to redeem us and to reconcile us to God, to bring us back to him. We live in a world that's broken. We live in a world that is dark. We long for that day when Jesus Christ will come again, his second advent into this world when everything in this world that is wrong will be made right, fixed once and for all, made new. Jesus said to his followers on the night when he had this meal with them, he said, until that day when I come back again, eat this bread and drink this cup and proclaim my death, the Lord's death, until he comes. We're going to do that now. If you're a Christian, Come to the table. Let's together proclaim to each other the wonderful wonderful truth that his body was broken for you, his blood was shed for you. He loves you. Let's stand. I'm gonna pray. And we're gonna to come to the table. Lord, we come confessing that we are unworthy of your love. Lord, we come confessing that in so many ways, in so many ways, we've turned from your way to our own. Lord, we thank you that the truth of the gospel is good news for us because you love guilty people. You love those who are sinful. You love those who have turned away from you. Because of who you are, you are gracious and kind. You are merciful to us, Lord, even though we're undeserving. And we want to praise you for that this morning. Lord, I pray that this Christmas that we wouldn't let the the bells and whistles and all the trappings of of Christmas distract us from the true meaning of all that went on. The true meaning of this story that, that Jesus Christ came to seek and save those who are lost. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to die so that we might live. Lord, I pray we'd be overwhelmed by your love for us. That our eyes would be fixed on you, Jesus Christ, praising you, worshiping you, because you are worthy of our praise. You are our Savior, your Lord. As we come to the table now, Lord, I pray that the chains of sin that maybe are are threatening to to shackle us, Lord, those chains will, will just be broken the burdens that we're carrying, Lord, in life, that that we will give them over to you, that we will lay them at the foot of the cross because, Jesus, you have paid for them all our sin, every single one, and that we will come as those who are joyful, rejoicing in you because you are our salvation. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for all that you have done. We long for you to return. We long to be with you forever in glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.